It has been a few years since I've had Carol Wilcock on Gesundheit with Jacobus. With a master's in nursing, she runs a clinic in Helena, Dynamic Health Technologies. One of her physicians is Dr. Natalie Gonzalez. Together, they will explain how different traditionally trained health professionals are working together to integrate alternative healing modalities into their practice. It's Gesundheit with Jacobus, Saturday mornings at 8 on AM 1450 KMMS, where Montana talks. AM 1450 KMMS, where Montana talks. Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to be back live in the studio. Last week, a few hiccups, technical hiccups, while there was a best off program. But I'm glad you're listening live right now and that you uh, hopefully stay with us all the way till 11 o'clock as you heard. In the introduction, I, Carol Wilcock is back with us, and we also have Dr. Natalie Gonzalez with us in the studio, and we're going to talk about integrative medicine. Uh, as always, as we are talking on this program for three hours, we're not here to diagnose, treat, or cure. The purpose really is the education, information, and hopefully some entertainment for you as well. So please, always contact the guests after the program for your own private session, or and or see a physician or specialist of your choice just make sure that with the information we're giving you you we hope to tickle your interest to take care of your health as good as possible so thanks again for tuning in today let me tell you a little bit about my guests because they're just chomping at the bit right here they're going like gee when, when is he going to talk about us uh first of all uh, carol wilcock a registered nurse of 30 plus years with a passion for wellness she worked at St. Peter's Hospital as a float nurse for 10 years. Float, F-L-O-A-T. Don't know what that is, but I'm sure she did it for 10 years, so it must have been, it must have had value. It was fun. Yeah, what is a float nurse? A nurse? float nurse is a, somebody who doesn't work on just one unit. You work on every unit. So wherever is the busiest, that's where you work that day. Oh, so, so it's I not knew that you... What, I knew when I worked. So you were not in charge of the float? <laughs> no. So I knew when I, I knew when I worked, I just didn't know what floor I was working on until I, see. I called in about a half an hour before and they wow. said, we need you in ICU or we need you on PEDS or right. wherever. Wow. So Jesus. I just went wherever they told me. All right. A, uh, she, was, uh, she worked at, as a float nurse for 10 years, a physician office nurse, home oxygen clinician, and instructor at uh, the U of M Helena and at Carroll College. She began a self-study program 20 years ago in complementary medicine. She finished her master's degree in nursing in 2008 and a doctorate in alternative medicine in 2010. My God, you're so smart. I've been busy. <laughs> Just busy. Sure. She began her own business in 2002 with advanced forms of biofeedback systems and continues to use these modalities today and recently finished her certification as an instructor. She is a member of the American Holistic Nurses Association, where she was introduced to Dr. Brian Luke Seward and his 
Stress Management Instructor Course in Boulder, Colorado. This is where she began looking for more technologies, clinicians, discipline. I was just going to read disciples. <laughs> no, no, I, I, don't, I don't have any of those. No, clinicians, <laughs> <laughs> disciplines, and modalities that create and promote health with a focus on creating healthy people rather than focusing on diseases. That's a good thing. These technologies include enhanced external counterpulsation, or EECP, for heart disease, AquaChi, InLight, H-Wave Electrical Stim, and Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy. She is currently the CEO and founder of Dynamic Health Technologies, a clinic in Helena. Thanks, Carol, for being here. Thanks for having me. It's always, always fun. Always fun. Been three years. It was uh, March 28, when you were uh, 2015, when mm -hmm. you were here last time. Jeez. Time flies. Dr. Gonzalez, Natalie Gonzalez, has spent the majority of her career as a physician, surgeon, and has witnessed firsthand that healing isn't limited to the physical, which traditional medicine primarily addresses. It occurs on physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual levels, which are typically not addressed. In her experience, healing begins at the spiritual level, which is also the level of the energy that is difficult to measure with our current technology. This work is designed to charge a person's field at the level of this energy and remove restrictions to the flow of this energy. These changes take place on a spiritual level, eventually becoming apparent in the person's emotional health, and it may ultimately be seen as changes in their physical health. She plans to spend the remainder of her working career on a practice that recognizes the value of both conventional medicine and the human energy field. Her work will integrate both, to obtain the best outcome for you. Dr. Gonzalez, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. I got to turn your volume up. I can already tell. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, contact info. Dynamic Health Technologies, where every day is a better day. Located at 900 North Montana Avenue, Suite B from Boy, B9. B9. Benign. Benign. That's so... <laughs> God, you're clever. <laughs> did you did you make up that suite? I did not because I did you say I've got to be benign? Suite, but yeah, it worked out that way. Uh, those people in Helena are different. Helena, Montana, five nine six zero one. Telephone number four zero six four three one seven three three two four three one seven three three two. And the website is dynamichealthtechnologies.com. If you're at home, want to check it out, dynamichealthtechnologies.com then you find information. Ladies, thank you again for being here. Thank you. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, so I had a question from uh, Casey during the break, and she said, uh, can you explain to us, she said, I understand now, I do understand now what a DO is, a doctor in osteopathy. She said, can you explain what is a hospitalist? Okay. Um, when you first told me she asked that question, I, the first thing that came to mind was uh, they are lifesavers. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good description. Um, yeah. And the reason I say that is a hospitalist, first of all, is a doctor who uh, generally is employed by the hospital who, to be there during a certain shift of the day. Um, sometimes they'll split the day up into two 12-hour shifts. So one will cover the evening and one will cover the daytime. Um, and often during the daytime, they'll have several 
in fact, during the night, it depends on the size of the hospital. Uh, and what they are is they, they are there working for the hospital to take care of the problems that arise in, in hospitalized patients so that a doctor uh, doesn't have to come out of their office to come over and check that patient during the middle of their office hours. It allows a doctor to have a practice uh, outside the hospital, a private practice, and be able to function in that private practice throughout the day without having to break up their time and come into the hospital and evaluate someone who has a change in their condition in the hospital. Huh. The other thing, so the they're reason, not a medical doctor. Oh yeah, yes, they, they are. Okay. They are generally the they right. are generally going to be um, internal medicine uh, specialists okay. or subspecialists. So they okay. may be a pulmonologist, somebody who does critical care. Um, they can be surgeons. Sometimes we do have surgeons who work at the hospital. They're called surgicalists, but most hospitals don't have enough volume to hire a surgeon to be there full-time, day and night. And so what the hospitalist does for the surgeon is uh, they will often, uh, the emergency room doctor and the hospitalist will evaluate a patient who comes in for uh, maybe abdominal pain in the middle of the night, and they will de determine whether they need to call the surgeon in or not. Huh. And so they'll determine whether they have a surgical problem and whether it needs an emergency uh, evaluation by the surgeon or not. And so the reason I say they're lifesavers is because when they started doing that in about 2005, I was working in uh, at St. Peter's Hospital in Helena, and... Um, for the first time, it allowed me to actually have a little bit more sleep at night and oh. not have to rush in every time someone came in with abdominal pain yeah. to evaluate them myself. Yeah. yeah. So these these people would, uh, they're very good at this. They, they can screen them for you and do the workup and the tests that are needed to mm -hmm. determine if they have a, an emergency problem uh, that requires emergency surgery, rather, and um, and then let you know that you need to come in or that you can see them when you come in in the morning. So oh. so it really took a lot of pressure off a lot of doctors to have hospitalists in the hospital. Yes. Oh. And it also, you know, I, I so many times when I would work in ICU, if you have a hospitalist that came in, they know how to work in acute care. And some of your doctors who are so great at listening to you and understanding and, and they've been doing in a doctor's office, they might be doing pap smears and runny noses and kind of a, a in-office doctor's work, and it's a whole different field of medicine, really, to work in acute care. So it's great to have a hospitalist that knows how to do that, and the downside is that then a lot of times you don't see your regular doctor. I see. You know, on a regular mm -hmm. basis, so that some, for some people, I think there's a, there's a, you know, there's a side to that, that a nostalgic side to that. Right. That's that true. They see it used to be that, that if you had a problem, you'd see your doctor in his his or her office, and if you needed to go to the hospital, then you would go there and be admitted, and he or she would see you in the hospital also. Would okay. make rounds. But that now, night. Yeah. Um, when he transfers you or, or your care to someone in the hospital, then they'll take care of you while you're there, and when you're when you're well mm -hmm. and you leave, you can go back to your doctor in his or her office. All right, very, so, very interesting. Yeah. yeah, what a job! So I mean, it's rewarding in a way. 
know, well, it's, it's something people. that Western medicine is really great at. You know, traditional medicine is really great at ICU. They're really great in ER. They're really great yeah. when there's an acute change. It's it's a place where they're they're brilliant. Yeah, it's great. And there was times when, you know, I remember one time I was working in ICU and this this sweet doctor came in and he was he had an older patient who was in a cardiac arrest and and we were running the code and. And we have specific training and a specific protocols that we follow called advanced cardiac life support. And this doctor didn't know anything. He's really great at delivering babies. Oh, he had no idea yeah. advanced. I mean, he couldn't even do CPR right. And I finally asked him to please go talk to the family and I'd call the cardiologist who yes. needed to get there right away. But I, I had to almost ask him to leave because there wasn't a hospitalist there at that time. And mm. I had to bring in a cardiologist to to get this man yeah make sure they're, they're and he still alive. and the cardiologist got there and he was okay and they were able to do an intervention that was life-saving and and it was great but yeah sometimes the the doctor's office physician wasn't always the best at acute care medicine so the hospitalist really stepped in and takes a lot of that weight off uh, all right well thank you good morning caller thanks for holding on doing that long answer but a great answer Great answer. Thank you. Uh, what's your name? How can we help you, please? This is Clint. Hey, Clint. Good morning. And good morning to your guest. Thank you. I've got to ask you two a real serious question. What's that? Well, Fox News and CBS News have uh, exposed a superbug. And this superbug, antibiotics won't kill it. Okay. And it's prevalent, they said, in 27 states. And I don't know if Montana's one of them. But I was wondering if maybe you two had some idea, maybe, uh, of, uh, maybe what a fella could do or to warn people, how, how does this bug, how is it transmitted? What the hell is it, you know? And I, uh, they say it's uh, really serious and it can lead to death. So wow. I was wondering... Have you heard anything about it, you two? Well, I can... This is Carol. This is Carol. So, hi, Clint. How are you this morning? Well, I'm pretty good uh, for an old guy. You're free from superbugs at the moment. Pardon me? I said you're apparently free from the superbug at the moment. I don't have it, no. But I was just wondering. It's prevalent, they say, in the elderly people. And uh, it's more damaging to them. It can kill them. Right. That's what they were saying. But it's... uh, they don't have an antibiotics, according to CBS and Fox News. Maybe somebody else out there can answer this, but to kill it. Right. So let me let me first say that, number one, antibiotics only work on bacterial infections. Well, I don't know what this is. It's just some kind of a bug or something. Right. So the antibiotics only work on bacterial. They don't work on viruses. They don't work on giardia they don't work on a lot of different other types of infections so there's many different types of infectious diseases and i would venture to say that every category of infectious disease has one superbug at least yeah they say that uh, this year is a new one and they haven't figured out how it it came about but uh, i was just wondering if you girl uh, carol if you'd heard of it and if you jacobus have heard about this bug uh, I do not. I, I, I just heard- know that uh, that the flu is going around for the second uh, second round. That's all I know. <laughs> if that is a super bug, I mean, for what it has damaged, it has done this winter to a lot well, of people. Huh? Right. I think it was a flu. It was something else. Yeah. So there, there are there are a lot of different super bugs. Yeah. So like MRSA ten years ago, that was the new super bug. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. And that's an antibiotic, right? Or that's a bacterial infection. So there's a lot of different viruses. And of course, they mutate. And as they mutate, they become resistant to whatever treatments we used before. Yeah. So there, to me, there's not a reason to get worked up about one superbug. The thing to get worked up about is yep. how do you keep your immune system resilient yeah. so that it just doesn't stick yeah. and it doesn't wear you down. And of course, as you age, then you're more susceptible to a lot of different maladies. So I'll let, Na I'll let Natalie weigh in on this one if you want to. Um, well, first of all, uh, over the years, um, Carol's right that one, it's one thing to get worked up about a single superbug, but um, I think what, what really goes on is that the more antibiotics we use, the more likely we are to develop organisms, usually bacteria is what we're talking about, okay. that we have no treatment for. Um, and she's right. Viruses are a whole group of organisms that we really have never had uh, a really good treatment for most viruses. We, we're starting to develop some antivirals that work um, some of the time on some of the viruses, but uh, viruses are something that our body has had to adjust to and be able to to uh, have an immune system that that will uh, fight off viruses. Immune system will fight off about anything. Ex exactly. And that's true of, of bacterial infections also. And once we developed antibiotics, uh, most of the time we decided that, well, we don't have to fight bacterial infections anymore. We can just give an antibiotic. And so by doing that, we've developed numerous bacteria that are resistant to the treatment with antibiotics that we do have. So um, so what is happening is we're right back to the point before we had antibiotics in many cases where we have to rely on our immune system to fight these huh. these organisms. I wonder if there's any, the CDC or if any of these other big organizations, if any of them study these various different viruses and try to figure out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely they do. It's going on all the time, and, and that's true of even the resistant bacteria strains that are out there. Um, it's Anything like that gets reported to the CDC right away because it's a health hazard to have something that you have no treatment for. Well, I couldn't figure out why uh, Fox and CBS News put it on, and I. Well, it's it's I, a headliner, and and it, you know, the news sells fear. That's what it's best at, and uh, you just have to realize that that's that's their job. And uh, if it makes people take a little more vitamin C and take a little better care of the health and you know, pass up the French fries, then so be it. Okay, that's good. Well, that's what I wanted to know this morning. Thank you You're a lot. Welcome. Thank good. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So it's hard to tell exactly what the name of the superbug is. That was maybe uh, the primary question that he had. But I think the approach to anything that comes around, it's simply what can we do? Uh, too many times, as people, we have been taught that if there is a problem, look for your doctor. And we should need, need to look more every day of our life to what can we do on a daily basis to uh, to lower the stress, to eat healthy, to participate in an active lifestyle, to find time for ourselves, to, to recharge ourselves somehow right. in our body, mind, and spirit. And um, if we do that, instead of always chasing the agenda, you know, then that is, I think it's it's important. Of course, it's important to, to have somewhat of an agenda. It's kind of nice that you know what you want to do. Um, but at the same time, taking care of ourselves is an, is key here. 
And then when, uh, luckily, we have people in the medical field who are also on top of things and then say, if it doesn't work out, we try to help you get back. But also, if a person is working on their immune system, you know, I think this is an important part. If you're working on your immune system, but you get hit by a superbug or by a certain disease anyway, and you work with a professional health uh, like yourself, I think you are rebounding quicker. Right. Because you have done work on your own. But if you just let it slide and then you have something, number one, you won't have the discipline to, to get back on your feet. And number two, the whole process of healing is going to take so much longer. So much longer. And that's really, I, I'm glad you said it that way because that's really the beauty of integrative medicine. So that's what Natalie is studying now yeah. is getting board certified this year in, in integrative medicine. And, and integrative medicine it's not one plus one equals two, it's two times two, and I mean, it's, you know, to the second power, so it's eight. Yeah. And so when you use these different either technologies or modalities and you hit it from all directions, if you have a com compromised immune system or any other system, but when you work with the body as a whole and you work with the <clears throat> whole person and you work with a lot of different modalities, you're gonna get better results than if you only say, well, this is the one person yeah. that's gonna do everything for me. Yeah. And that one person might be an acupuncturist who's amazing. Yeah. But maybe, you know, I had one client that came in and, and he had a horrible infection in his foot to the point where it was becoming necrotic, it was dark, it was part of it was black, and I was, and he came over to the clinic um, from Billings and they were like, well, my daughter, who's kind of a naturopath, kind of thought this. And I'm like, he needs IV antibiotics and a, probably amputation if he's going to live. Wow. And so there's there's a balance there, yeah. right? So you have to use the tools in all the different fields of medicine for what they're good at. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with a hospitalist when you're in the hospital and you have an elephant sitting on your chest. You need a hospital. Exactly. Yeah. But are you exactly. going to recover faster if you've been doing other things? And yeah. if you choose to include other things in the healing process, it's going to happen much better. Right. right. Huh. Uh, what, what I thought we'll do, we'll try to do, and I think that most listeners would like that too, is let's talk about approaching certain disorders that so many of us are dealing with on a daily basis, such as uh, hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. Autoimmune diseases, there is an increase in autoimmune diseases. Why is that? Uh, adrenal fatigue, quote-unquote fatigue, which really should be called adrenal imbalance uh, because the adrenals are not fatigued. They're just overworked in one area and not have no energy left to work in another area. Uh, insomnia in general or sleep disorders. Uh, insomnia is one thing, but how many people have bad sleep or, uh, you know, just issues with uh, their, their night rest. They did not recharge when they wake up in the morning. Then I tell you, one of the things that comes up a lot in, in our store, which is usually one of the biggies, is digestion. Uh, people are dealing with indigestion, and they always come in either for uh, probiotics, and I tell them, I said, it could very well be that there is an issue with your stomach. Maybe you're eating the wrong food. Maybe you mix it with too much liquids. Uh, maybe you're not giving your stomach a chance to do what it needs to do. There could be a problem with your pancreatic enzymes, your bile, that you have your gallbladder removed. There is a slew of symptoms uh, of issues that deal with digestion. Low back pain. How many people are not complaining about low back pain? Why, what is the reason for that? And what can we do against it? And when you talk about pain, let's talk about inflammation. 
allergies. Allergies is another one of those that so many people are getting more and more exposed to. Then we, we, we hear, we did a few weeks ago, we talked to Alan Bell, who wrote the book Poisoned, and uh, talk about chemical sensitivities and poisoning. Uh, the last 50 years, we've been exposed to so many toxins. How does that affect our body? I mean, if we have developed as individuals for millions of years, and all of a sudden we are we are being, in the last 50 years, being exposed to about 60,000 60, new chemicals that have entered our system, how is our body going to adjust to that in such a short period of time without having any hiccups? And then, of course, a biggie in this state is suicides and depression. So, um, um, uh, you know, if, if a customer of a patient comes in and says, you know, this is how I feel, what are some of the questions you ask? How do you approach it? And, and so, um, which one would you like to start with? What is an, it doesn't matter. I, I just uh, made a quick list, but um, well, what, is one, that, what is one you hear a lot about? Well, I think that maybe... For me, it would be good to just take a little bit of a, um, just back up just a tiny bit and address really what is what is integrative medicine. And so some people have okay. um, different interpretations of that, but Natalie being the authority in the room, maybe just give us an overall view of what in integrative medicine is, and then we'll kind of go through these okay. different Well, maladies. I think a, a really straightforward definition of integrative medicine is the combination of conventional medicine and alternative medicines combined to use whatever the best treatment is for the person and their disease condition or their disease or um or condition yeah. because not everything i would consider a disease but right. um but yes it's using both of the approaches together uh in the way that works best for that person so so to me, the, the key that I loved about integrative medicine is that it's not about what I know, and it's not about what I've been taught, and it's not about what what's in it for me as a practitioner. It's not about what's going to keep my business busy. It's about the client in front of you, and they're the focus. They're the point. And so if if what I have or what if the technologies are, or whatever wherever we start with that it's all focused around that person and what works for them yeah. right. and what's what is it that they need is it that structural piece do they need some manipulation is it an energy piece is it a natural or a nutritional piece or is it a western medicine beginning of a, a disease process or way past one so to me it's it's all focused on what the client needs what is going on for that person and letting go of your own opinions yeah on all these different fields there's so many people in the field of nutrition or in the natural field and naturopaths who are vehemently opposed to medication what what is the point of that um to me that's just as narrow-minded as a as a physician who's saying there's no point you can eat whatever you want it doesn't make any difference in your health yeah that doesn't make any sense to me either so to me letting go of those fences on either side and just lowering the playing field and looking at it just from a patient's point of view mm -hmm. mm. does that make sense the other thing that's going on in integrative medicine uh specifically uh, like carol said i'm i'm working to become board certified in integrative medicine right now and uh, a really strong uh portion of the program is directed towards uh, evidence. Okay. So if we're going to use something, somebody comes to me and they say, you know, I've, I'm having trouble sleeping and, um, 
and I want to know about this grounding or earthing thing going on. Right. And uh, and so for me as a practitioner, what I'll normally do is um, go ahead and and find an article, find a research study that's been done on whatever it is they're questioning and look through it and really take it apart and decipher it and decide whether there's evidence for this practice that they want to use or not. Okay. And then discuss it with them. Discuss with them what the evidence is, how safe it is or it is not, and yeah. and then decide from their standpoint what works best for them. That's very fair. Yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue with that. Uh, very interesting. Uh, we're going to make it, uh, put it into practice. We'll be right back. The, we have only two hours left. Uh, that's the problem because we have so much that we want to talk about. And um, I thought one of the things we could do is try to be more practical. There are so many regular topics that come up on this radio show about adrenals, about candida, about depression, um, uh, back pain, inflammation, autoimmune dis disorders, uh, and, and one that we can maybe start talking about is uh, Hashimoto's or low thyroid issues. And I, I thought if we are talking about an integrative approach, I would like myself to learn, but also all of you listeners probably want to understand how does an integrative medicine start the conversation on something like this with a with a patient who comes in and says, I don't know what's going on with me, but these are some of my symptoms. And then how would they approach it? So if that would be helpful, you know, just that we have a general view. Obviously, we're not here to diagnose, treat, or cure. We're just trying to get a feel for what does an integrative specialist uh, do in, in conversation. Okay. So... If this a, is Dr. Natalie Gonzalez. Yes, this is uh, uh, a fairly common problem uh, in our society right now, uh, our thyroid disorders. And um, as a physician, the first thing that we would normally do is get a, a series of lab tests to determine whether your thyroid is over-functioning or under-functioning and at what point in the body it might be um, responding to uh, stimulus or not responding and so that that involves a series of blood tests and um, <clears throat> excuse me and then uh, uh, we would do an exam uh, because part of the exam will tell you whether you have a, a thyroid that's enlarged or not enlarged whether it has nodules or not and and then from the standpoint of someone in in the conventional medical field they would want to know whether uh, a nodule was was something that uh, was more benign, meaning non-cancer, or whether it had the potential for being a cancerous type growth or nodule on it. And so we would do a series of, of uh, usually an ultrasound is the first place we'd start to look at that a little bit more clearly. So, so what does it what does it mean when a thyroid is enlarged? When it's enlarged, um, a lot of times uh, an enlarged thyroid is indicative of what we call the, a goiter, which is uh, the thyroid tissue that is responding to lack of iodine usually in the body. And, um, and that uh, is also a bit of a controversial uh, topic. Carol and I were talking about this a little bit on the way over. So, oh, really? Um, so you'd be the expert in the room. Jacobus, <laughs> he's laughing. No, you really are, because there's different types of iodines and different. There's right ways to supplement it and wrong mm -hmm. ways mm -hmm. to supplement that. And you are the supplement man. 
Can you answer that question? Well, if, if a thyroid is enlarged or not functioning because of a thyroid because of an iodine imbalance. How well, what it? I try to explain to people is when you have the thyroid and there is a problem, and and what is the problem? The problem is not enough T4 production. So in a way, the T4, let's say the T4, the free T4 on the blood test. Mm-hmm. So there are there are two hormones that we talk about. There's the T4. And there is the T3. Now, the T3 is really not produced, per se, by the thyroid. It is converted out of T4. So the blood test you want to do is free T4 and free T3. And TSH, right? And the TSH. The TSH is coming in when the thyroid is not pumping out enough T4. Then the TSH in the pituitary gland is being activated, is being produced to help the thyroid, the thyroid-stimulating hormone, to help the thyroid produce that T4 right. uh, hormone. So a lot of people so, with a thyroid imbalance don't have a thyroid problem. Sometimes they have a T5, a TSH problem. They have a pituitary problem too. They may. They, yeah. they very well may. So right. it is a complicated issue. Yeah. Now, the three main foods that the thyroid needs in order to produce T4 are two minerals. One is iodine and then selenium. And there is an amino acid called L-tyrosine. So the L-tyrosine is actually there to help the iodine be pulled into the thyroid. It helps to burn body fat. It lowers the craving for foods. And it helps in the, pre, in, in the production of dopamine and norepinephrine, which are neurotransmitters. Right. So we need tyrosine when we are, have iodine. So for some people... They may have enough iodine, they just don't have enough tyrosine. So the iodine is floating but doesn't get pulled in. The selenium is needed for the conversion of T4 into T3. So this is an important thing because when we do blood work, it's all about relationships. If the T4 is low, then we say, okay, the thyroid is not producing enough T4. So why is that? Well, maybe we don't have enough iodine. Maybe we don't have enough tyrosine. If the T3 in relation to the T4 looks good, so if you see that the T4 is low and your T3 is low, but the the ratio between the two is adequate, then you don't need extra selenium. We just need to get extra T4. The T4 goes up, it pumps out more T3. So some people go on medication that is may not be as necessary as, as, as some doctors jump on and say, well, you need this or this, that. Now, so iodine is an important nutrient. However, there are people who have low thyroid symptoms, but it is not caused by an iodine deficiency. It is caused by an antibody attack. It can be so enough. the antibodies... If the antibodies are attacking the thyroid because there is some kind of an allergy that is attacking the thyroid, the antibodies try to get rid of the the, the, the antibodies, uh, excuse me, get rid of the allergen and get rid of the thyroid. They attack the thyroid. The thyroid is so exhausted from fighting the antibodies, it has no more energy to produce T4. And so to some people I say, listen, we have to know if you have low thyroid caused by antibodies, so what we call Hashimoto's, 
if right. you have Hashimoto's. Which is not a thyroid problem, it's an immune system it problem. It is an immune system problem, right. and therefore you may not need iodine. As a right. matter of fact, high doses of iodine could actually work right. adversely, and I have Hashimoto's. And so I was taking high iodine, and it was a, a clinical nutritionist at the store, Miriam Bakra, who said, your TSH keeps going up when you take a lot of iodine is because you have Hashimoto's. And so I don't even take extra, extra iodine, and my TSH came back down to less than 2.0. So the iodine, some books like Dr. Brownstein, medical Dr. Brownstein, wrote a whole book about iodine, and he talks about 100 milligrams to 300 milligrams a day for most people, which would be great. Now, when I was doing 60 milligrams a day, it really messed with my thyroid. Yeah. And so I think that is a time and a place for iodine. Right. Uh, Lugol's iodine is a very well-known, uh, long time been around iodine. So not iodized salt isn't going to solve the problem? It is a small amount of iodine and iodized salt. Uh, and it could be good if people use it on a regular basis. That may just be enough iodine for them. If they take a multivitamin, it has some iodine in it. If they take kelp, if they eat seafood, sea vegetables, it may just be enough for them. But we never know until we do a blood test. So the the the, the problem is, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, and help me out over here, I feel that the the range on the blood test is not right. The the uh, I think that a free T4 should be more in a 1.5 to 1.7 range and not a 0.8 to 1.5 range. I think for many people, they have low thyroid when they have a 0.9 uh, on the free T4. They just have the symptoms. And, and a free T3 is should be between 3 and 4, in my opinion. Now, the TSH is another one. The, the thyroid-stimulating hormone, when you do a blood test for that, the, the, the laboratory tests usually indicate that the normal range is anywhere between 0.34 and 4.75. Roughly in that, in that, some say 3.75, others say 6.75. I've seen crazy numbers. <laughs> I think that if your TSH gets over 2.0, that you start realizing you actually have low thyroid symptoms. And so first of all, the diagnosis, in my opinion, and you two ladies can tell me if I'm wrong, I think the, di the, the, the laboratory test results are not indicative of a potential problem because the ranges are wrong. Uh, if the ranges could be better. And then the other simple test that was used, somebody told me that the other day, this was the old test that was used. If your body temperature in the morning is low when you lay in bed, that first one or two minutes that you wake up, take your temperature and lay still, um, if that is less than 97.7, it usually indicates you have a low thyroid somewhere. And uh, so these are some of the things that I feel. So as far as your question, Carol, about iodine. watch iodine. Um, it's just part of the piece. First, you need to know where you're at. You need to understand, is this a thyroid disorder caused by Hashimoto's or is it a thyroid order caused by lack of iodine? So this is this um, just part of the piece. First, you need to know where you're at. You need to understand, is this a thyroid disorder caused by... Exam, we need to look at it. You need to run some lab and yeah. see where it's at. I can tell you a story about lab, which I'll do in a minute. But um, And then you look at, okay, is there is there a natural, a nutritional component to it? One of the things that... Um, might show up is is there been radiation toxicity or you know so when yeah. we do the biofeedback and i pull up a specific organ like thyroid th thyroid is really susceptible to radiation toxicity 
could be if you're especially now we have our cell phones that we hold right next yeah, to our thyroid. Good point. It's a big deal. Yeah. So um so it could be that maybe they need potassium iodide yeah. or algin is a homeopathic that will help neutralize or grounding will help neutralize yeah. radiation toxicity. Yeah. Huh. Is there a structural problem? If you have a pinched nerve between, if you've had whiplash, if you were in a car wreck and you didn't think anything about that, huh. but you have no communication between your thyroid and your brain then it's going to just be a communication issue, which usually either physical therapy or an osteopathic adjustment or a chiropractic adjustment will open up those communication lines. So this is a great example of, of mm. how integrative medicine is so much more effective than just looking at one approach alone. Uh. Because just taking tons of iodine you know, or one particular supplement may not be the, may not be the thing to do. Yeah, it, and, or it might be just part of the picture. Yes. There's another factor here, and this is also part of integrative medicine, and, and that is, first of all, me as a surgeon, I don't treat a lot of thyroid disorders. So once I got the initial workup of, of the, the blood tests and the, uh, and the ultrasound, I would tend to, to send that person to somebody that I thought could address those results a little bit more specifically. And one of the things that you brought up is that there's this variation in the normal lab values and the abnormal lab values. Yeah. And Jacobus, that has that happens for every lab that we send yeah. the uh, the blood tests too. They're all going to be a little bit different. Their yes. their values are going to vary from the next lab next mm -hmm. you know down the street. So. Um, and then you don't treat a lab, you treat a patient. So you, you determine based on those symptoms, what that patient, uh, whether that patient actually needs something that's a supplement or whether their symptoms are, are, um, minor enough that you can try to address it with their diet or, uh, do some other things before you start treating with a medication. And, and it's all based on the symptoms of the patient. So, um, we don't treat a lab, we do treat Patient, you know, it's interesting when you bring that up, and if I can throw in some integrative medicine here that I'm thinking about, is the the, the thyroid is really your throat chakra, That's isn't right. It? Very and, that's the next piece. And your throat chakra is, are you able to speak your truth? Are you able to speak your voice? And and that is something that I'm thinking about at times, uh, you know, because I've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Um, am I am I able to speak my truth? Uh, of course, I have a, a great opportunity, great field, and maybe this is part of my healing. Um, but it is just an interesting thing to keep in mind. Because uh, when it comes to the throat chakra, one thing: if your if your throat chakra is blocked, maybe you're not able to speak your truth. On the other hand, maybe you're speaking more than uh, maybe maybe it your balance be between yeah. speaking and listening is off. I right. See. The other piece okay. about the throat chakra is that this is where decisions are made. If you just draw a, you know, have a circle around your throat, but it's the balance between what you think with your head and your brow chakra and what you feel with your heart. And so your throat chakra is where decisions are made. And this can be a battleground for a lot of people. If they really struggle with decision making, if they hesitate, they're mm -hmm. not self-confident, they have a lot of different issues with not making a decision or they make way too many decisions too fast. They don't think about it first, they're rash, they make a quick decision and then they have regrets about it later. Yeah. So you can have um, throat chakra issues, you know, that are all different types, but that's an energy, that's a biofield, that's an energetic field that needs to be addressed on an energetic level. And a lot of, and all of those things can address the thyroid.
One of we we were actually in, when I was in school, we were memorizing lab values for thyroid, as it turns out. And our instructor did something which I will never forget. And she's like, "If you ever quote me on this, I will just not ignore. I'm going to have said it. I'm going to refute it that it never even happened." <laughs> she shut the door to the <laughs> classroom, and she's like, "Okay, shut your books, and stop, and don't forget to look at your patient." And she said, no, this lady, so I was in school, this was in the 80s, and she was in her 70s, and she had gone to nursing school in Denver in the 1940s. Yeah. Okay, this was, Western medicine was very, very young. And they had had decided they wanted to establish norms. So they could do lab, but they didn't know what normal was. And so they hired medical schools to go and get test samples of blood and urine and all of these things so that they could run the tests and establish norms. Well, Denver won for pediatrics, and it was either Chicago or New York that won for the adult labs. Interesting. And so these guys didn't have a Honda where they drove all over the place and made sure they had a wide range of ethnic and ages and all these different things. They just found the kids they could find, which was within walking distance of their medical school. So she said 95% of your pediatric lab values came from little Mexican kids because I took them. Wow. Because <laughs> I was there. Wow. And so she said, these lab values are give you an idea. They'll give you a clue as to where and how to, to guide how much trouble you're in. But don't forget to look at your patient, which is one more reason why integrative medicine is so great because you really do look at the person first yeah, and you can look at the nutrition and you can look at the, the structural piece. You can look at the energetic piece and you can look at the physiology all at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. Uh, we're always working. It is important to, to look at the thyroid, but at the same time we're looking at the patient There is more going on in the person, body, mind, and spirit that needs to be addressed. And that's what we're trying to do. Uh, Folks, uh, we are going to take a break. We'll be right back. I do want to go a little bit more into the Hashimoto's, only mainly from the standpoint of autoimmune disorders. And I I think autoimmune disorders are a huge thing today. And there's a lot of controversy. And the controversy stems from uh, a lack of understanding. There, There are limits to what we know with regards to autoimmune disorders. And um, there's there are theories that uh, that the underlying process is uh, are a various numbers of viruses that are attacking different organs and tissues and causing the body to recognize those those organs and tissues as being damaged and then the body uh, tries to uh, send in the immune response to those organs and tissues and so the theory there is that the underlying process is a virus or not a virus, but a series of various viruses for the various autoimmune disorders. Wow. And there are, there are some, uh, the immunology literature is quite difficult to read and quite difficult to decipher. Is but, that right? But I have been uh, really pouring through some of the information and, and there are is some evidence that that the underlying problem may be certain viruses for some of these disorders. Either way, whether that's true or not, um, it still comes down to a matter of whether your immune system is functioning or not. 
and whether it's functioning to its highest level or not. And so support of the immune system, I think, is critical in all of these different uh, autoimmune disorders. But in a way, let me ask you then, because sure. if you have an autoimmune disease of disorder, mm -hmm. and that means the immune system says, hey, there is a problem, let's fix it. It just hasn't gotten the right guidelines. So it is not that the immune system is not working. It's just gets the wrong uh, manual uh, while it's doing right. its work. Because some of these viruses actually go into the cells of the organ yeah. and, uh, and will start to imitate being part of that cell or structure of the oh. organ. And so, uh, yeah, it would be very difficult to identify that it was a virus as the underlying cause. And so that's that's what some of the mechanism is for viruses as a possible autoimmune uh, trigger. Now, um, it still comes back down to whether your body was able to fight that virus off to begin with. Right. And so we're, we're back to whether your immune system is functioning optimally or not. And I think Part of what really helped me understand autoimmune, because I, I didn't for years and years and years, people would just say, well, the body's attacking itself. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me at all, because the body is incredibly intelligent yeah. and really strives. I, I remember watching, you know, a, a guy that had, he was over 100 years old and he had had a hip replacement and it's, he's still healed. You know, the wow. body's always trying to heal, always. And so... To me, the autoimmune piece didn't make any sense until, until I started to understand that when you have a tissue, whether it's by a virus or a number of different issues, when you have a tissue that's compromised and casting off basically necrotic or dead cells, so like um, a thyroid, well, there, if your thyroid gets behind, there should never be thyroid tissue in the bloodstream. Correct. So, but when it does that, it will kick off an antibody. Okay, so then it becomes an autoantibody. It's not an antibody from, and it may be because the virus is also mimicking the same type of cell. Then but it, be, so it puts up an antibody, and then your body's job is to produce an antigen to deal with that. Yeah. So when you're hit with the flu, it puts off an antibody, and your body goes, ooh, I know how to deal with that. Here's the antigen to deal with that. So you have an autoantibody, and now you have an auto antigens so the antigens are then attacking and it thinks oh thyroid bad all thyroid bad and so it starts to attack the thyroid or the liver so or what's whatever. the difference between an antibody and an anti-antigen uh, so an, an auto -antibody, antibody is a is like a is like a red flag that's or that says hey i'm i'm causing problems here and an antigen is the Immune systems respond to neutralize that, to attack it, and to disseminate that infectious disease or that infectious process and basically chew it up and metabolize it and, and be able to neutralize it so your body can eliminate it. Oh. That's that whole phagocytosis and macrophage. You know, there's all the immunology terminology that I don't, I don't think we'll probably get into too much. But, um, but basically... Once that happens, then your body's attack, the autoantigens are saying, hey, all liver bad, all thyroid bad, all, all synovial red fluid blood cells. bad. So then once it's, dis it's attacking again, the, the tissue that's not just roaming around the bloodstream, but now it's kind of programmed, thinking they're all bad. So it's attacking the tissue itself. And then it creates more necros necrosis, and then you have more 
little dead thyroid or little dead liver cells that are floating around in the blood and it becomes a cascade of a huh. problem. Now, to me, the key to understanding autoimmune is first, what what is it that caused that thyroid or caused that tissue to, to become be compromised right. in the first place, yeah. which is where you get into the toxicities. That's where you get into the viruses. That's where you get into what is the underlying issue behind why and it could be that whole throat chakra. It could be a lack of communication. It's just withering, and the immune system wasn't able to stay on top of it to begin with. So once it gets behind, then it just gets further and further behind. The also the other piece to that is then you you have to bring in thymus because that's your command center, okay. right? Your T uh -huh. cells are your command center that is the intelligent part of yeah. dealing with the immune system. So. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead, please. Well, the immune system, um, yes, is is uh, a function of a number of different systems in the body, uh, including the thymus, which uh, someone yesterday even mentioned to me that she heard the thymus uh, has no real function in the body. Oh, no. But uh, the thymus, in addition to the bone marrow and the spleen, are, are some of the main parts of the, mm -hmm. the immune system. But I also want to talk about um, the gastrointestinal tract, the, the intestine as being a portion that is um, uh, becoming more and more recognized as a necessary factor in immune system function. And, um, you know, when I, when I see somebody who has an autoimmune disorder, the first thing I'm going to ask is, you know, what possible organism could be triggering this underneath? Is there a possible virus? Is there something that's getting out of control that we need to really um, ramp up the immune system to really uh, fight that particular organism? And, um, and so my thought is to support the immune system in these cases of autoimmune disease. And, and that comes from a matter of of uh, a variety of vitamins and minerals. None of these work by themselves. You can say, well, I'm missing boron or I'm missing, you know, vitamin D or something like that. That's only going to affect a portion of the whole process. It's a very complex process in the body. So you need a variety of vitamins and a variety of minerals. And the other thing that we're finding, and there's some really good evidence in some of the studies that I've been going through and that we're... Um, that we're really following, and that is the evidence for the probiotics. And I can tell you, when I first started practice as a surgeon in the in the eighties, uh, actually this was in the early nineties, uh, I would have people that were on antibiotics and had diarrhea, and so I would recommend that they go ahead and get. Uh, the yogurt, and I said, I want you to read the label. I want it to say active lactobacillus on it. Yeah. And I would prescribe them uh, yogurt for a certain number of days following their antibiotic treatment. And, uh, and I did it because I saw over and over and over that it worked. Yeah. And I had a, a gastroenterologist who, who heard that I was doing this and acted like, uh, almost like I was doing some kind of malpractice in my in my treatment of patients to be prescribing yogurt uh, for this condition of uh, antibiotic induced um, diarrhea, uh, but but the other thing that I noticed in my surgical practice is when we did surgery we had anywhere between seven and ten days that we wouldn't have somebody on anything to eat 
orally. And during that time, you know, you expected that they were going to get over their surgery, they were going to heal, and then pretty soon, if they healed just fine, you'd let them eat. Yeah. And what I noticed is that as soon as you could get something in them orally, some kind of food, that's when their condition would turn around. That's when their body started to act like it was going to really heal. And it was an obvious change in their white blood cell count and their, and their hemoglobin and red blood cell count. It would be within 24 hours of the time they started eating. Wow. And, uh, and I realized over and over how critical the immune function was connected to the bowel. Wow. And, uh, I would uh, yeah. love to talk about that. Uh, 522-8255 is the number in the studio for you to get in touch with Dr. Natalie Gonzalez, who you just heard speak, as well as Carol Wilcock, who is a master's in nursing, and she is also a doctorate, doctorate in alternative medicine. Uh, they are uh, both in Helena. They drove down here to just be on the show, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. And uh, they, uh, they work at the Dynamic Health Technologies Clinic an integrative medicine clinic in Helena. And uh, you can, uh, let me tell you what the, what the telephone number is. That is uh, 431-7332. So in this area, make sure you do dial 406, then 431-7332. Uh, very, very interesting information. I have two text messages from people. So uh, first of all, I just going to put this caller on hold. So caller, you are on hold. You got to wait for just a moment. The first message is, I have Hashimoto's and lupus and take a low dose of Naturethroid and have for many years. I have normal TSH, normal T4 and T3, but sky-high antibodies, and that number keeps climbing. I have been dairy-free and gluten-free, and nothing seems to help that number. Do you have any thoughts or ideas for me? Thanks for that text. That's a really powerful, powerful text. So they're writing it all down. We are writing it all You're down. You're all writing it all down. And well, then, uh, Carol, what, what is your first thought? Well, you know, I, I become codependent <laughs> upon some of my technologies because the, the first thing that I'd want to do is hook you up to that biofeedback machine and see what your thymus is stressed about. Because and see what those underlying issues are when you're when you're dealing with that. And I, I was gonna mention this before with the when we started talking about autoimmune and and I'm not saying this is all the always the case. There's to me there's I've just eliminated that word. There are no always anymore for me because every single person is so incredibly unique. But um, I have seen autoimmune where it was really autoaggression and they really didn't like themselves they didn't like their life they didn't like their personality and so there is uh -huh. a there's an emotional component to this Excellent. it can even be a really core spiritual component to this where they they truly dislike themselves so just a heads up on on that one wow. so with the combination of lupus and Hashimoto's so once you have one autoimmune it is it can be a cascade and you can f deal with many at the same time and so to me wondering why the thymus is either i guess you could say misguided but why it's stressed to the point where it's not doing its job in the first place and then of course looking at those different um you know lupus being a, a blood disorder and then 
being able to also look at the the thyroid it's it's good that they're normal but as the antibodies climb um there's something that they're fighting there's some there's something there for a reason yeah and so understanding what that underlying reason is 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 key so i see natalie writing feverishly <laughs> do you want to weigh in on the escalating antibodies uh yes i do I um a couple things uh all of these things that you mentioned are, are autoimmune disorders. And, um, and one of the things that happens when, when we are gluten intolerant or dairy intolerant or uh, any intolerant is then we, we know right off the bat that we're going to have trouble getting certain nutrients in order to support your system. So I don't know how long this has been going on and how uh, many of the nutrients you've had to avoid for how long, but I think that can really be a portion of what the problem is and, and the fact that it's not getting better, it's escalating um, in many ways. And um, I, I'm not sure how your uh, gluten intolerance was diagnosed, whether they actually uh, diagnosed you as, as celiac disease or not, but. Um, either way, it sounds like um, it still might be wise to address the gut, to determine um, what it is you're, you're having trouble um, digesting and possibly be considering the addition of some probiotics to be able to get back a normal biome, a normal um, balance of bacteria in the intestinal tract so that you could possibly be able to tolerate some of the things that you haven't been able to tolerate for so long. But also to just have somebody, a nutritionist, somebody to really look at this and make sure that you're not missing some of the major substances that are necessary in order to support your immune system. Huh. One of the yeah, other things that occurs, to, that occurs to me is um, we had a client in, um, who came in and and it really showed that allergy was a huge component of of their autoimmune issues and and it was a similar situation where they had multiple things going on at the same time and and hers was more inflammatory bowel and that had been you know she had dropped the gluten and it you know tried a lot of different things and i um, I sent her over to Dr. Fife, who works at our office a couple days a week doing Nate therapy, which is an oh, yeah. allergy elimination um, treatment. And it's using acupuncture meridians to reset the body's reaction to different allergens that uh. you can create. This person had an allergy to literally all B vitamins. So oh. try and eat a healthy diet and avoid B vitamins. Yes. It's impossible. Yes. Impossible. So after... Um, after going through a series of, of sessions with Dr. Fife and doing the allergy elimination treatments, doing the Nate therapy, um, she was then able to get the right nutrients into her diet because her initial response was to rinse them away and, and for her body to be inflamed to try to flush out this histamine response that she mm -hmm. had mm -hmm. related to all B vitamins. And yeah. so once that was reset, then she was able to... Um, to get the nutrients into her system. And it really had a lot to do with changing that perception of the body of knowing what's friend and what's foe. Yeah. Huh, so it was a really great, it was a great way to be it able is. to help her out. Good morning, caller. Thanks for your call. What's your name? How can we help you, please? 
And Jacobus, this is Rena again. I'm okay, sorry Rena. to call again, but this is about my husband. Um, he was diagnosed with polymyalgia uh-huh. rheumatica um, in December. Started getting very, very sick. And they got him into a rheumatologist and was diagnosed with this. And I wondered if she could share anything about it. Um, they have him on, your immune system attacks you. Your joints is what polymyalgia rheumatica is. And it becomes the enemy. And so you develop this. And they have him on prednisone to kill his immune system. And I just, um, when you're talking about immune system, I just, wondered if there's anything that they could share with us on that. Uh, well, first of all... Dr. Gonzalez, yes. Yeah, we're, we're talking about another autoimmune disorder, and um, it's, it goes back to the same thing that I just talked about. Is uh, We're really talking about the immune system malfunctioning for whatever reason that is. And uh, what, are some, what are some it, of the symptoms of polymyalgia? Pain, pain. Joint, pain. joint pain. Oh, lots of pain. It attacks the tissue and joint uh, connective tissue, um, fat. He lost over 40 pounds in less than two months. Wow. Um, he um, was writhing around in pain for forever before we got help. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a more, and to me, it's more severe version of fibromyalgia. fibromyalgia. It's, yeah. it's more direct. Wow. It can be very severe. Um, is is the warranty up on him? He is. <laughs> no, I'm still keeping him around after 50 years. But um, uh, love the man dearly, but I want help for him, and he's still on. I don't. I don't like the steroid destroying his immune system. Yes, right. you know, um, and you're right. Still it, on it. It's he's, draining his immune system, but it doesn't kill the immune system. Okay. Luckily for him. Oh, um, okay. But it is. Uh, that's good to know. That's good. That's good yeah, information. It, it is. Okay. I mean, it is possible to bounce back from uh, being on steroids. It's not a an all or none thing. It's just uh, very. Uh, sometimes you need it, and it sounds like he needs it right now just to be able to move. So yeah, and you know, yeah, he was like paralyzed, and it got worse and worse. In fact, his hands started swelling huge. Wow, uh, swelling in his hands. Yeah. Um, and this is interesting. We talked to his brother because we were looking for genetic things. Okay. And his brother had the same thing, and it went into remission. Um, they also had him on steroid wow. for a time. So that's what we're hoping, that it'll go into remission. <laughs> I still think it's it can easily be related to the immune system and support of the immune system in terms of your diet and your mm-hmm. nutrition. Uh, any, any nutrients that he's getting or missing could be key to this. Well, you know, there's something else to add to this, and it might help other people. Bruce has had... Um, uh, what I want to call it, reflux, and acid, they have acid had reflux? him yes. acid reflux, and they've had him on omeprazole yes. for years. That blocks the omeprazole is a drug that we give like candy throughout the United States. Right. And it, it actually blocks the absorption of a Nutrient. number of vitamins Calcium. that yeah. are Calcium. that are essential for so, your right. immune system. And so when he got, you know, when he got this, um, he lost so much weight. The reflux went away. This is interesting. Oh. The reflux went away, mm-hmm. and uh, that's way better. So he's not taking the meprazole, okay. thank God. And I'm hoping he can get better nutrition now, not being on the meprazole. I mean, our naturopath hated mm-hmm. the meprazole, and he tried to get him off I'm of sure. it and couldn't. Yeah. Right. So anyway... 
That's okay. it. Well, good point. <clears throat> yeah, the prednisone me, will you know? knock down yeah. the inflammation in the gut. The what? Well. The prednisone will knock down that inflammation in the digestive tract, too. Yeah, okay. it will, but it is not the end-all approach. So no. I would say you probably could benefit from going to Helena and work with these uh, doctors to, yes, to yeah. really get, for example, what Carol is talking about, the biofeedback machine, to really let the body explain through the machine what it is feeling instead of trying to mentally uh, explain it let the body explain it yeah thank you so much yeah thanks so much for the call bye bye we only have one hour left stay tuned we'll be right back one of the issues that has come up also in this last hour is the fact that there could be a very strong relation to digestive issues specifically leaky gut when it comes to uh, autoimmune disorders. Now, the gut issue is very interesting because as we talk about integrative health, the, 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 the nervous system, there is a whole slew of nerve endings in the, both in the intestines and in the stomach, and they are directly related to the brain. And so when we, uh, we often talk about, I have a gut feeling about something, what I need to do, what kind of decision you need to make, we become instinctively, uh, of instinct starts to affect us. And when something feels scary, we get an upset stomach or we can get diarrhea, we can have an anxiety attack. So the, the, the connection, therefore, between the body and the mind or the, the digestive system and our, ner- our nervous system is, is very integral in everything, everything related to our overall health. So I feel, I know that those, both these professional uh, medical, uh, prof- these medical professionals here are always looking at digestion, what is going on. And the digestive system uh, too many times we're only talking about, oh, I have diarrhea, or I have constipation, or I have colitis, or gas, or bloating, or whatever. And many times people only look at the intestines. But don't forget that before the intestines, you have your duodenum, and before the duodenum, you have your stomach, and before your stomach, you have your mouth. So what do you put in your mouth? What do you put in your mouth? And the stomach will let you know very quickly if it likes it or not. And so we have to always look at the stomach. We have to look at the enzymes that we have and to go from there, Carol. What are your feelings about that? What you just said made me laugh. I smiled because uh, one of the gal that works up at our front desk, Jennifer Jones, who's phenomenal, but she always says, your stomach doesn't have teeth. Chew your food. And so when you Good said point. it's what you, what you put in your mouth, and I'm like, yeah, and, and how much time did it really spend there? Because your stomach really does not have teeth. And mm-hmm. a lot of... Mechanical issues um, are so much uh, can have so much benefit if yeah. we just chew our food. It's the simple things in life, really. <laughs> yeah, I you know a funny thing is that I heard uh, a naturopath once say that officially the whole digestive tract is outside the body, and that uh, because there's no blood in it, it's actually skin tissue that is rolled inside. Yes, and so it has really our our our. Well, our first line of defense, I would say, is what we put in the mouth. Second line of defense is uh, our whole digestive tract. And if if there is a problem there, then our organs are going to feel it. So it's, uh, I thought it was always an interesting way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so body-mind connection, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, um, you, you kind of were going towards that already. 
uh, by saying the gut is very important part of your immune system. Oh, I I think it's a hugely important part of your immune system, and and I I realize I've probably said this several times during this couple hours here, but um, I just think that the underlying problem of so many things going on for chronic diseases in in our country especially is our diet and um, it's one of the hardest things to change about people people don't people have heard that so many times that they really don't want to hear it anymore yeah. they they certainly wow. interesting uh, yeah. they certainly don't um, in fact that's the basis of fad diets a fad diet the only way a fad diet really gets to take hold is if it promises you something that you really need that you're motivated to to have for example weight loss or for example um, uh, there's a diet for acne that uh, is out of australia um it's called i think it's called the teenage healthy skin diet uh australian guide to healthy to healthy eating but this this diet is specifically for acne and they did a number of studies with children who had failed all the dermatologists could give them so they had either failed the medications couldn't tolerate them uh, they were the worst of the acne uh, patients that these dermatologists had and they put them in the study in Australia and um, and for the next three months they put them on what they called the anti-acne diet and um, it was interesting because I, I was telling my sister about it and she looked at it because she has a daughter in that age group and she said, well, this is just a healthy diet. Well, <laughs> and I said, yeah. I know, isn't it, isn't it re really uh, telling that we have to couch it in some kind of a motivating way That's to right. say, okay, this will help you get over your, your acne if you try this healthy diet. Right. Um, same is true of PCOS. PCOS is a, a very um, uh, common and becoming more and more common uh, difficulty in women. It's called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, it's especially common in women who can't get pregnant. It's diet related. And in order to treat that condition, that's what you have to start with. And and women are so ingrained in the diet that they've grown up with, that we've had forever and ever in this country, that to actually get them to alter their eating patterns so that they can get pregnant, it takes a lot of motivation. And some women will do it, and some women would rather have a drug to do it. Um, and there are a number of drugs you can add to that. That uh, In addition to? Yeah. Well, to the interesting the, thing, what you yes. mentioned, that is how but, they were raised. So now they say it's probably genetic. And then uh, my mom had it, or grandma had it, or uh, my aunt had it. So they say it must be a genetic issue. It's, it's but what it we've grown up with. In it's this a tradition country. issue, right? right. Yeah. It's a, it, that's right. It's a tradition issue, and and so much of so many things are saying. Well, this is what my mom had. I'm like, well, you've been eating the same thing that your mom's been eating. Yes, you grow up with those that same yeah, very exactly. very poor diet. Yeah, and so yeah, it's so yeah, definitely um, a huge healthy issue. diet is a really tough thing to to get people to look at. It's the last thing in the world they are really well motivated to do for the most part. I want to you know one of the things I see regularly when I talk to people they say, well, I have a healthy diet. And yeah, then but I then ask you him, ask him. I ask him, so give me an idea. What are you eating? Well, I don't eat meat or uh, earlier, the lupus, oh, okay. and uh, um, I don't eat uh, gluten or dairy. So now I have a healthy diet. Or I eat a lot of salads. Or I do uh, have a lot of fruit, okay. etc. So I just ask him. I said, well, 
what do you consist of? What is a consistently healthy diet? For some people, it is grazing all day. Uh, and then they nibble on this, nibble on that, but they never sit down to have a meal. They just graze as they go. For some people, they become a vegan or a vegetarian because they want to lose weight. And they will lose weight, but they lose muscle too. Right. And they, they're tired and, and the hair falls out and the hormones mess up. Well, so, and some people, it's just like our caller, she has intolerances. So yeah. she's missing certain groups of food in her diet because of those diet intolerances. Yes. And if we don't... In, if we're not able to address those and we we can't get them under control, we need to at least look at what they're missing by not eating meat, by not eating dairy, by not eating grains. Yeah, and you have to really, study it. Really look at that because because by not having those other nutrients in those food groups, you're going to end up with a long term problem in the in the end. Here. Yeah. One of the things that Natalie frequently will ask people to do, and that is to to keep a a nutrition journal. Just write down. You don't have to change anything, but please just write down for about three days everything that actually goes into your mouth. And so I think that the awareness piece is, oh, well, I did have chocolate three times, or I did have, I'm not demonizing chocolate. Or I ate one vegetable today, something like that. Yeah, I eat vegetables, and they had like three carrot sticks, right? Yes, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah. Very interesting Uh, because healthy diet is very, people feel if they don't go to a fast food restaurant on a regular basis, they must be eating a healthy diet. Yeah, if they're not eating corn dogs and Mountain Dew for lunch, I eat a a healthy diet. Yes. Or I only do that, you know, once a day. Yeah. I still have, everybody's definition of a healthy diet is, is really, really different. Yes, it is. I'm not sure what um, website this is, but. In the United States, I think it's uh, uh, somebody may know this. It's called My Plate, and it um, is our current, uh, you know, our current recommendations in the United States of the Food and Drug. Uh, I just looked at it last night. Maybe it's myplate.gov yeah. or something because it wasn't is. It I actually just like looked at it last it's night. It's very simple. Wasn't it makes it very idea. If you go to health.gov. And then there's a whole nutrition. Yeah. It's like a 30-page document on what the U.S. government recommends as a healthy diet. Yes. Okay. Um, but for the most part, and and this is true across the the World Health Organization, most of the industrialized countries have come up with something very similar among themselves of what constitutes a healthy diet, and it it generally starts with just being able to eat a variety of the five different food groups. And that can be very difficult for some people because of their intolerances or because of their, uh, maybe they've decided that they're not going to eat meat. It's very difficult if you don't eat meat to get... um, Adequate uh, protein. At, well, or at least and B12. No, no, you can get adequate protein, but you can't get v- B12. You yeah. get very little zinc, very little iron. And I'm talking about absorbable iron you can get iron from vegetables but most of it is not something that your body can absorb because it's attached to those to those uh vegetables in such a way that it's very difficult it's not accessible to your body and but, also carnitine i would say carnitine and taurine right, uh, amino right. Acids. the amino and acids and then the right. amino acids essential amino acids of epa and dha you cannot get uh from any plant source they are Two of the essential fatty acids, you can't get them anywhere else. And they are essential for so many different metabolic functions for your immune system and your endocrine system and your uh, metabolism of cholesterol and fats. 
in your in your body in a normal healthy way instead of being deposited on the inside of your vessels th- this these two will help you so that you can metabolize it and you can even get to the point where you can reverse the plaque that's on the inside of your body if you're getting enough of these yeah when yeah. when yeah. they treat high risk groups with EPA and DHA essential fatty acids they treat them with a, a fairly high dose probably around the a range of 4000 milligrams a day to get enough and what they can see in these groups of high risk people is that it will start to reverse that um, that uh, process of depositing on the inside of the vessels it, it will start to reverse it over time hmm. so well, part of it is, uh, and I don't know if you were aware of that, uh, there have been companies now that have come out with a um, with a vegetarian DHA. I thought I read that the other day. Yes. Yeah, it's a sea vegetable. Okay. That uh, that has uh, that has very high DHA. Okay. And so that's one. Uh, there is also a vegan vitamin D three now available that okay. is made from lichen plant, L I C H E N, lichen mm-hmm. plant. And uh, so there are people who really want to take that one, yeah. And um, then the other one that has been gaining much more popularity lately, and uh, as far as taking the, the 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 calcification out of the blood vessel, is vitamin K two. Oh yes. Specifically the MK seven part, the uh, the number seven, uh, uh, the the menaquinone seven, and that is has shown to be very important to be taken with vitamin D three. Um, uh, for so many different disorders. And so luckily for some people who don't want to eat the meat, but still I totally agree with you, Dr. Gonzalez, that there are quite some essential nutrients like the B12, uh, like some of the amino acids to get a complete profile. Those are so essential for overall energy and brain function and, and carnitine is so necessary to pull the fats and the nutrients into the mitochondria that, and, and expel the trash out of there. Right which is another important thing, so important. you won't get it. You would have to take a dietary supplement in right. order to compensate for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just being aware, you know, going through your diet and doing that diet journal, even for a few days, makes such a huge difference in terms of being able to look at it, you know, from a practitioner's standpoint where, you know, Dr. Gonzalez or someone can can look at that and go, okay, and advise these are, you. Yeah, yes. and advise you and say, these are some components that you may be missing if you don't ever have mm-hmm. this or that in your diet and and having a, a truly well-rounded healthy diet i think you know meat got demonized as something where where it's a horrible thing because americans ate so much of it you know so much they would have meat all three meals and have you know six eight ounces of servings per meal and the 16 ounce steak you know, so we got so the, to the point where we were having so much of it that it really got um, a lot of bad rap when, you know, four to six ounces of meat per day is a really reasonable amount. It's very and adequate. that's not very much. Well, I think it depends on your activity level. It does. You know, if you were, you are an athlete and you, mm-hmm. you physically do a lot of work. Uh, yeah, then you athlete, have to replace the you protein. You need to. You, you need to have do the protein. protein. Yeah, to rebuild all the cells in the body. Uh, from the text line, uh, sorry, this has been uh, sitting here for a while, didn't get to it yet, but it really ties in on what we're talking about. Uh, the, the, uh, the question is, I have been reading some books lately that all come to the same conclusion that there is only two causes of disease, either lack of nutrition or toxicity in the body. 
so either you de deficiency or toxicity you don't get enough of what you do need or you get too much of what you don't need uh, how do you feel about that theory um i think I, we're kind of talking about it well we are we are talking about it i i have a hard time with boxes <laughs> I don't do boundaries very well. And when, you know, I had somebody that said all cancers are fungus. Well, they may turn to a fungus, but I, I can't, I can't swallow that. And I had another person who came to me and said, you know, emotional, spiritual stress is the cause of all disease. If that were perfect, then you would never have disease. And then I, I have my own thing with pathology in terms of infectious disease, because I don't know, it's just kind of my germaphobe <laughs> in me where I look at pathogens and I just, I, I have this intolerance because I see the damage of pathogens and superbugs and things that we've talked about. So I have a, that's my own take is I, I have a hard time with saying it's only one thing. And I think that the, the reason why integrative medicine is becoming so popular is because we're looking at it saying, is it in the mind? Is it a spiritual disconnection? Is it a sh an energy problem? Is it a projected emotion from your ancestors right. three generations right. ago? It may oh. not be anything you're doing wrong. Huh. Is it? Is there a nutritional solution to every disease? I think there is. I think that that's Big a God-given tool, yeah, right? So, and it, and I talked to the lady who had the emotional. You know, her thing was that emotions are the cause of all disease, and I said, well, I think that if you're in a a state of not good health long enough that dealing with the emotional component has to be part of the healing process. I don't know that it's the cause, but I think all these things are part of the healing process. And I think that goes with toxicity as well. So you can look at pathogens, you can look at toxins, you can look at nutrition, you can look at emotions, you could look at spiritual. I mean, I know people who have made very poor spiritual decisions. They have done things and been the perpetrator of horrible things. And there's no amount of nutrition that's going to correct the damage done to their soul that they did to themselves. Yeah. So that's that's my that's my take on it. I have a hard time with just two oh, boxes. That's good. But this is this is something that goes around and I, I, I do tell people you can be on a healthy diet, but what if a certain allergy test shows that you're actually allergic to onions or garlic or that you're tomatoes. allergic to yeah. tomatoes or, or or blueberries or you think it's all organic what I eat and I eat with chopsticks and I'm sitting in a lotus position and I'm growing my hair onto dreadlocks that doesn't make you a healthy person that's right you know so it is just something that we have to keep in mind <laughs> as we go we go around there's more involved in it but uh, anyway we're going to take a final break stay tuned we will be right back we still have uh, quite a few topics that we could discuss. Um, we were just talking during the break a little bit, and I and I mentioned to them that when I often sit down with people and they're talking about issues that they that they have, uh, there's two things. The body is trying to let you know there is something going on on the inside, and so if that is the case, you will it it may come out. You know, the the body has five outlets. Uh, there is the skin. There is the uh, the bowels, uh, the urinary uh, urinary bladder, uh, kidney. Uh, there is the lungs. So you have asthma or cough or bronchitis, pneumonia, and then you have your sinuses and and extend that into the ears, so you can have ear infections. Uh, so you have 
congestion or you have a runny nose, uh, you have ear infections. So those are things that we can either see immediately or smell, <laughs> or we can look at it and say, oh my God, what's the rash doing on my skin? Um, but that doesn't mean that if you don't have issues with your bowels or your kidneys or your skin or your lungs or your sinuses, that there is nothing going on. It's difficult to look at somebody who has Alzheimer's and say, oh, that person has Alzheimer's. Or you cannot see that somebody has stage four cancer if they don't even know they have it. Uh, so there are certain disorders. When somebody sits on a chair, you can't tell they have arthritis. But the body is somehow using, the body is using itself to let you know that there is an underlying, that there is a problem and it needs to be addressed. And so often I tell people, how long have you been dealing with this and this issue that you tell me? And, and they may say uh, three years or 12 years and I go like, why did it take you so long to get here? Right. <laughs> but that's one. But if they say three or four years, then I usually ask them what happened five years ago or what happened four years ago. And, and when you make them think, they realize, my God, I went through a divorce, or I lost one of my children, or I, uh, I changed jobs, or I moved into a new house, or I left my friends behind and moved to the state of Montana, or I, work, I changed work in a work situation where I'm indoors all the time, or whatever. There are usually other circumstances that have put such a pressure on you as a person, and that now comes out sideways. Right. And, and so we always need to address that. And there are certain things you cannot change. I mean, you did move or your, your spouse died or your child died or your dog died or uh, the, the environment that you're working in is different. Some things are difficult to change, but can you adjust to what has happened uh, to you? And, and so to me, that is, that is what I like to contribute to the the integrative health to to look at the body mind and spirit that because it just comes out sideways and for some people inflammation is something that it just happens and and other people say my god this is it's getting out of control i really need to do something about this and sometimes it depends on how long that inflammation's been there correct so if it just showed up three days ago and you go my gosh my knee is three times the size of the other knee yeah i need to do something about that but if you've had, you know, just a gradual swelling in your back and in your spine where you can't really see it and it doesn't show outside, yeah. but it's been a gradual thing, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been, I've had back pain for three years. Yes. You know, so. And I tried to prednisone, I tried the anti-inflammatory. Right. And so many people are addicted right now to the opioids. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of pain. Oh, there's, there is a huge amount of pain. And that's, that's one of the, it's one of the major issues that we see people with all the time is that this chronic pain piece. And and I think um, understanding why it's there in the first place and then taking a multidisciplinary approach to it where we look at, okay, what did happen five years ago? And how is that divorce going for you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, is it still in the air? Is it yeah. still, is it really resolved for you? Or how is, you know, how did things change after that? Well, once my husband died, I quit cooking. You know, I've seen that several times yeah. where they just, the nutrition changed completely and they just never re put the two together. Yeah. So oh, yeah, the pain piece is, is huge. It's mm -hmm. huge. And having a lot of tools is a critical part to getting off the opioids. You know, I think, um, uh, when I was in my practice in, um, 
the the latter part of my practice was at the VA hospital in oh, Helena. Yes. I was just going to talk about that. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I got to the point in about 2011 when my husband had um, Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS, and um, and I realized for the first time that I couldn't just do a surgery or fix something and something. Uh, for him, that was going to go away. Nobody could do that because it was uh, quite a slap in the face to me to realize that the medical profession had absolutely nothing that could do anything about that disease. And yeah. um, didn't matter where I looked and wow. you know what the studies were. We tried everything, and he just uh, passed away after two and a half years. The ALS. Um, that people generally have it between two and a half to five years, and two and a half years almost to the day of when he was diagnosed, he passed away. Wow. And, um, and I think I went through a huge um, upheaval in my, in my thinking and in my practice and just really re uh, recognized or started to admit that the medical profession was missing a lot of information and there are just so many things that we don't know and um and so i i chose to study um energy healing at that time because i felt like as a surgeon i needed to know more about healing not just not just doing a surgery and hope that somebody got better but to actually work with healing and to do something to help people heal faster or better or just more completely. And um, so so that's yeah. what happened about that time. And, and I went through, um, I actually went to the Barbara Brennan School of Healing. It's a four-year program. And like I said, I, I think I spent the whole year trying to disprove it the first year. And after that, um, it actually went much better after that, after I... <laughs> finally started realizing that it, it was very, um, very effective for a lot of people. And so I finished that. And I think within a few months, Carol called me to come work at Dynamic Health Technologies. And I had no idea anything <laughs> about it. And I had uh, heard about it once or twice in uh, the several years when she first started it there, but I really hadn't looked into it. And it wasn't until I went over there that I started really looking at the technologies. But I think the most the most interesting technology that I find there is the biofeedback. And, um, oh. and it's not like any biofeedback that I, as a physician, had ever heard of. The biofeedback that a physician knows about is that you get up, hooked up to some type of monitor and you control your blood pressure or your heart rate by thinking, by concentrating, by relaxing right. and focusing. And, and that's what I knew of as biofeedback. This machine actually was completely different from that. And I, I'm a little surprised it even has that name on it, but um, I think that's for uh, purposes of the, of the approval of the machinery and, and all of the uh, technology. But I've been absolutely stunned by some of the things that this biofeedback will be able to tell us. Um, somebody will come in and uh, this was just a, a young, I don't know if I should talk about a person. You don't have to name It's a situation. Names. Just don't mention yeah. names. It's, it so, could be any, as long as it's not so specific that she's the only one in the whole state of Montana okay, that right. could deal with that. So uh, <laughs> just a young man who came in who had fatigue and was 
Um, oh, that would we probably would be the only Montana then. Right. <laughs> that has fatigue. Okay. The only one in Montana. Oh, you just fatigue. gave it away. Okay. <laughs> so um, he had been in, uh, you know, several times, and this was the first time I saw him, and I started to run the program on him, and it kept saying uh, something about uh, mucous membranes and lungs and respiratory and bacteria and and these different things. And I was seeing this pattern emerge from what the machine was telling me, what the program was telling me. But the the um, young man uh, just, when I first uh, hooked him up to the machine and I said, I'm going to test you, and I left the room for three to five minutes, by the time I came back, he was out cold. And he did not Sound wake up yeah. during the entire session. I never heard from him. He never woke up. And I had to wake him up at the end to tell him we were done. But I had a couple other questions because I wanted to know what this pattern was that I was seeing. But he was, um, you know, so I asked him about his lifestyle and questions. And this was while he was awake again? Or this yes, what you afterwards, okay, when, yeah. after. when he was finally able to wake up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I got a little sense of his diet. His diet had some, some pretty severe limitations, actually. And, um, and, but then at the end, he coughed. And I said... How I didn't long? know you had a cough. Where did you know you didn't say anything about that? And he said, "Oh yeah, I've had this about a year. Uh, you know, kind of this green yellow stuff that I cough up and and I just thought, you know, what what this pattern had picked up was that he had some type of an organism in his lung that um, for the most part, if he was really healthy and his diet was really good, he probably could have fought that off and gotten over it without any help, but he needed some help to get over it. And it was at the point where it was really taking a toll on him. And he was a young man. And so this was a definite change in his health that was occurring after this um, this infection for this time period and the, the, uh, the deficiencies in his diet and the whole thing rolled together was really starting to take its toll on him. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, um, so it turns out, you see that a lot with the biofeedback. Right. Um, very often, it's a pattern that comes up on the machine. It'll, it will bring up things that are nonspecific, but that have very similar characteristics it's to like a, a, puzzle. a certain disease process. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's very much like a puzzle. And it's fascinating to watch this energetic pattern emerge from the information that it's just getting from the skin surface of the, the person's body. And it's so common that you'll pick up something that they haven't even mentioned or haven't even told you about. Um, I would say patient after patient that happens with. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. our awareness is limited to what's just going on here. But on the device, we call it the super conscious, where your innate intelligence, your body knows what is wrong. And it's just... Using different technologies, using the biofield with the energy medicine, using different um, modalities that listen and listening to the person. I mean, usually the biofeedback's about an hour and a half. And um, Natalie does her energy, you know, her energy healing sessions are around an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. When Dr. Fally, who's our internist that works at the office, does a new client, he spends two hours. He left because of the same situation that you mentioned in the first hour. It's yeah. like, I just don't have time. It's not that I want, I don't want to, I just don't have time. Correct. And for this, for this guy, he's a deep, methodical thinker. And he's like, I can't take this stress of caring uh -huh. 
and only having 15 minutes with somebody. So he he came to us and said, I just want to have time to do my job. That's all I want mm-hmm. is a place to have time to do yeah. my job. The interesting thing about Dr. Fowley is uh, he has found, um, after being there, he, he and I came about the same time, and and uh, he one of the surprising things for him was to realize that he had patients who had he was seeing patients who had autoimmune disorders and long-term chronic diseases that were on very few, if any, medications at all, and yet were far better off and, and far more functional and uh, far fewer symptoms than any he had ever seen in his practice. And uh, he had an internal medicine practice probably for close to 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I see many people coming to the store who do muscle testing. Right. And I have my doubts about it. I know there are people who are trained to, um, who do training. Uh, There is somebody in town who is an educator in it and who has done it for 20, 25 years. And I totally trust what she does, maybe 30 years. She's very good at what she does. And part of the reason is, she balances herself first with the person she's working with. She has her own way of doing that. It has to do with the magnet and with drinking water and, you know, being in tune with that. But I see, uh, I hear of people who say, well, I went to my naturopath or I went to my chiropractor or my acupuncturist and he just asked me questions and asked, asked me to raise my arm and then he's pressing down on the arm and he says, well, I need this and this vitamin. And I said, well, let me do that for you. I'll do it for half price, you know. <laughs> I can sell you some vitamins. The, the, the point for me is two, twofold. Is there an alternative motive in this case, which I trust people are honest, so I would say no. Uh, number two, yeah. Number two is I think that if the person is not in balance, either let's call it the patient and we have the practitioner, right. Even they have asked me in the store, can you muscle test me for this? I said, no, I don't do that. If you want, you know how to do it, do it yourself. But I still also feel that when you yourself are out of balance, you're not well, you're fatigued, you haven't slept, you haven't eaten right, you, feel, you, you don't feel good, and then you muscle test yourself, in my opinion, you don't get a perfect readout. And that is what, I, what worries me and I, when you say, Dr. Gonzalez, about this young man who falls asleep and the machine is still reading in his body, doing like, uh, well, how many? Uh, 11,000. In, in a second reactions. or something, right? It's unbelievable. Well, yeah, it's very fast. Well, it checks a lot of things. But it is a, uh, to me, that is a very interesting machine that has no emotional attachment to no, it's, anybody. No, it's not a communication. I'm, I'm just a facilitator if you want to take the call then yeah let's take the call yeah take uh, the call and then i'll anyway, answer that caller thanks for calling us back i think what's your name how can we help you hey jacobus this is john hey john how are you doing doing pretty good thank you um it, it occurs to me that really basically everything can be connected to the spiritual the spiritual life and I think the more that we get away from our identif- identifying our life as being a spiritual priority, that the farther we get away from recognizing that, that the more dis-ease we have, not only in our bodies, but in our society. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so if we want if we want to to heal our society, we have to heal ourselves, or we have to heal ourselves and then the society. Yes. But it goes. It, it must go hand in hand. Yeah. You see such a, a problem with opioids. Well, it's it's really no wonder. You know, half of our population is uh, you know getting farther and farther away from going to church and having any kind of a spiritual life, and the other half is is trying to find out why we're here and what we're supposed to do. Yes. And yes. it's create and it's creating a dichotomy not only in our 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 bodies and and our society but in our world. If what? we could just if we could just figure out how to reconcile this dilemma, we could heal everything. That's right. One one person at a time. You're you're absolutely right. That disconnect and the and the medications can make the disconnect even further and you're less in touch. So the spiritual component is is a huge component of the disease and and it's it's one of those things where I go back to is it just this cause is it just that cause and the spiritual component is absolutely um in my opinion under attack in these in this day and age and yeah. we're distorted by information and lack of wisdom and lack of a spiritual connection and and there's so many different great venues that we can reconnect with that so Thank you for bringing that back up to the forefront, John. Super important. Very good stuff. Thank you, John. Thank you for both uh, everyone coming on today. Um, I, I love listening to your co show, Jacobus. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate I it. Learned so, I learned so much, and I gained such great connections to people. Well, I really appreciate that, John. Yes. Thank you so much. All the best. Thank you. So... That's an interesting thing. What, what, what makes me think is when you go back to another time when we did not have social media and when the towns, the cities were smaller and the communities were tighter, mm -hmm. there was a church or there were several churches in the community and people would simply go. And a few weeks ago, I was talking to a doctor, medical doctor who wrote a book. It's called The Hacking of the American Mind. It oh, was very a great book. Yeah, have you read it? Dr. <laughs> it's Robert on my Lust audio book list right now. Yeah, it's... Dr. Luster. He was in Bozeman. And, okay. Uh, so, but one of the things he says is people are looking for community. And so many people go to a church because that is their way to get in communication with other people to connect. Because everybody is so focused on their own little cell phone and their work and their hobbies and their family, there is no more talking and looking each other in the eye and when you go to church at least what you have is community now the difference is that if you're looking for community but not for spirituality you only get have the healing when you go to church in the olden days it was not just about community it was also you were told to believe that what the priest says that is how you leave, live your life for the rest of the week so there is somewhat of a watering down in my opinion of religion spirituality the way services are done i see that uh, that 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 ministers and priests have kind of adjusted to the times and and maybe uh, thinned it down a little bit to make it more popular and more acceptable um so i don't know i have a i have a really great explanation of the difference and the combination of spirituality 
and religion, but I think we're going to be out of time before I get to answer that question. But maybe another show, because it's a really great point, and it's something that really, on a health level, needs to be addressed. Yeah. I'm sorry, caller. We gotta, we gotta let you go. I'm, I'm really appreciate you calling, but we run out of time. Um, I want to thank you both for coming. Thank you. Really, that means a lot. You drive an hour and a half to come <laughs> over here, being on a show for for three hours. Breakfast with you is worth it. Just that, <laughs> so fun. Well, we gotta do it more often. I then. know, right? I really feel that the agenda points that we have uh, asks for another show that we really dig into alternative uh, integrative health into different diseases and disorders and and get our listeners involved but thank you dr gonzalez thank Uh, you thank you thank you carol appreciate it folks we're going to be back next week saturday from 8 to 11 we'll talk to you next week bye-bye